2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. This is a Man of God Network, a podcast of Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary in Owensboro, Kentucky. This is the voice of the narrated Puritan. For more narrations, go to puritanaudiobooks.com. John Gregory Pike, 1784-1854, was a Baptist and was born in Edmonton. His mother, a daughter of James Gregory, a London merchant, claimed descent from Oliver Cromwell. The following is taken from his book, Persuasives to Early Piety, Derby in England, 1819. This book was also published by the Religious Tract Society of London. The Eternal Ruin of the Ungodly, a Motive for the Early Choice of Religion. Some persons are awakened by terrors of hell. The state of the most wretched prisoner on earth, a happy one compared with that of lost souls. There exists in many minds a strong dislike to a faithful representation of those horrors to which the ungodly are exposed in the eternal world. Yet the divine Savior and his apostles, by denunciations of the terrors of a wretched eternity, warn the sinful to flee from the wrath to come. Far, my youthful reader, am I from loving to dwell on so painful, so dreadful a subject. No, it is not the terrors of the Almighty's vengeance that must melt the heart. But I also know that in many instances those terrors have awakened the impenitent when all other considerations have failed. Fain would I have ye drawn with the bonds of love, sweetly constrained by the love of Christ to follow him. But perhaps I address some hardened or some thoughtless son or daughter of folly, on whom that love has made no impression. Oh, then let me make one effort more for your salvation. And though it is a dreadful reason, let me urge one reason more for your accepting the grace of God. And oh, eternal God, do thou now assist me. And by thy terrors alarm that thoughtless soul which thy love is not affected, nor thy promises allured. Dreadful are the representations which the scriptures give of the punishment of the ungodly. Hell is described as a lake of fire, a fire prepared to punish the devil and his angels. At the end of the world, the angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. And there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. The judge shall say, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. He will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire, the fearful and unbelieving, and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night. It is better for you to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where the worm doesn't die and the fire is not quenched. The Lord tries the righteous, but the wicked in him that loves violence his soul hates. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone, and an horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget 
God. Lord Jesus himself tells the one who lived in wealth and pleasure, but he died, and in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy upon me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, Remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and likewise, Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted, and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from there. What bitter misery must they endure who feel the wretchedness here described? What outward torment, what inward anguish, how dire will be the horrors of the hellish prison, the place, the company, the state will all unite to make hell a hell indeed. Figure to yourself a prisoner in the most dismal cell of the most dismal prison, yet his is a happy state compared with that of a lost soul. Think of such a one in a most doleful dungeon. No light ever shines there. The poor sufferer has wept away a score of years in darkness. Black bread is his only food, water his drink. No human tongue ever utters one kind word to him. He hears no sound but the harsh grating of rusty doors and the rattling of chains. In vain for him the sun shines, he doesn't see it. Others are happy, but he is wretched. Others have friends, but he has none. Others have clothes and chains are almost his only covering. Others have comfort, no comfort is ever his. This is a prisoner in the dungeon of some earthly tyrant. But time is flying, a greater than man will soon set him at liberty. Ah, for what would you be in such a situation? Would the whole world bribe you to pass 20 years in such a dungeon? 20 years thus spent would seem longer than 20 ages. Yet ah, to those who have sunk to hell, what a heaven would the prisoner's dungeon seem. Compared with the miseries of damnation, his miseries would be blessedness. All the delights of lost souls are gone forever. Their pleasures which they loved more than God are forever departed. Their laughing is ended. Their mirth is finished. They have done with playhouses and card tables and taverns and romances and novels. They sing their wanton songs no more, but groan beneath the sting of every guilty pleasure. All their delusive hopes are fled. They no longer dream of heaven, but hope has left them to be tormented by black despair. All their false peace has passed away, and they learn by bitter experience that there is no peace to the wicked. Once they deluded themselves with presumptuous expectations and hope for heaven while they slighted the only way they can lead a sinner there. But now they are dreadfully undeceived. Once they could scorn religion as unnecessary strictness, but now, too late, they know that it was the only real wisdom. With all their pleasures and delusive hopes, every other mercy forsakes them. No Sabbath shines on them. No season of mercy cheers them with its light. Their day is ended, and an horrible night of eternal darkness has begun. Once they might have prayed, but then they would not, and in hell they cannot. God calls on them no more, but is forgotten to be gracious. 
Jesus pities them no more, nor can his blood ever wash away one of their sins, though once it might have cleansed them from all. The Spirit strives with them no more. Once they would not turn, now they cannot. No one will ever pray for them. No friendly voice will ever say to them, Sinner, turn, there is mercy for you. The sermons of ministers shall no longer weary them, for they shall hear of gospel grace no more. The admonitions of pious friends shall no longer trouble them, for in hell they are fixed beyond the reach of hope or prayer or admonition or mercy. Then, too, all the blessings of the next world, as well as those of this, will be forever lost to them. God will never for one moment cheer them with his smile. Never will they pass a single hour where saints and angels enjoy a whole eternity. They are forever shut out of the heavenly city. Their eyes will never behold its glories. Their ears never be feasted with its melodies. Their hearts never be gladdened with its delights. No crown of glory will ever be theirs. Their tongue shall never join the heavenly anthems of praise for victory and salvation. God will never wipe one tear from their eyes or remove one pain from their hearts, but will rather pour out upon them all the fierceness of his wrath. Jesus will never lead them to fountains of heavenly pleasure, not for one moment manifest to them the smallest portion of that love, which in full perfection he will manifest to his friends through one eternal day. In hell also all that is evil will meet, everything that is detestable, Every abominable passion will reign in triumph there. The unhappy creature that sinks into that dreadful prison will have no companions but tormenting devils and the spirits of the damned. There they whose lives were the blackest and whose dispositions the most horrid will meet. Nero and Herod and cruel persecutors, Alexander and bloody conquerors, the guilty crew of Sodom and Gomorrah, Thomas Paine and Voltaire, Hume and hardened infidels, profane blasphemers, ferocious murderers, swearers, adulterers, drunkards, with Satan and his angels, will compose the dreadful society of hell. Among all these, there will not be one mild disposition or one circumstance to soften the rage of the infernal passions they feel within. There, alas, must they dwell hateful and hating one another, ever tormenting and ever tormented, with every hellish passion and every devilish disposition augmented by the madness of despair. There, not one soft word will ever be spoken, not one mild look ever seen, but rage and fury be vented in cursings and blasphemy. Oh, could you endure in this world such company for a single day? How dreadful is their lot, who must dwell with devils in the dam forever. Besides, all this misery is added that of the fire that never shall be quenched. And oh, who can dwell within devouring fire? Who can endure everlasting burnings? How unutterable will be the miseries of that lake of inextinguishable flame? All the torments which martyrs have suffered would be almost easy compared with the torments of damnation. Any of those 
most faithful servants of God have yielded up their lives in the midst of dreadful burnings. But these were not an everlasting fire. An old writer says, I have somewhere read of the horrid execution of a traitor in this manner. Being naked, he was chained fast to a chair of brass or some other such metal that would burn most furiously, being filled with fiery heat, about which was made a mighty fire that by little and little caused the chair to be red and raging hot, so that the miserable man roared hideously many hours for extreme anguish and then expired. But what an horrible thing had it been to have lain in that dreadful torment for eternity, end quote, Robert Bolton. If merely a finger be burnt or one limb be scorched, how tormenting is the pain. Yet what is this compared with the sinking and the flaming waves of hell, tormented in every part and nothing to give a momentary relief, yet this must be the careless sinner's dreadful portion. The Son of God himself has declared the awful truth, and it is a hideous cruelty to an immortal soul to undo it through a delusive hope that God's threatenings will not be fulfilled. Can you then, O oh, young sinner, well, with everlasting burnings, you must if you do not repent. If your hand were thrust into a flaming furnace, the torment would be great, but more supportable if you were assured that in a minute it should be taken out again. But if your hand was capable of lasting so long, and you were assured that it should continue burning for life, how intolerable would your misery seem? How would you wish for death to end it? Yet it would be nothing compared with what the spirits of the dam must feel in hell. They're all the soul, and after the resurrection, all the immortal body must endure indescribable misery, and no easy part within or without. How dreadful is the state of those who, dying in their sins, are dragged down by devils to infinite despair. Oh, what a change when they are snatched away from the world they love to that where there is nothing but malignant spirits to torment them. No sound of a Savior's love, but horrid lamentations and despair. What fearful horrors stare them in the face on every side. How would they shrink back from the mouth of the infernal dungeon, but oh, they cannot, for the wrath of an incensed God drives them in. And when once they have entered, it is for eternity. Alas, how infernal the society, how doleful the abode. Oh, the dread torments of eternal fire. Oh, the horrid company of hellish fins, where can they turn their affrighted eyes? Alas, it is everywhere the same sad spectacle, blackness and darkness and devils and flame. Oh, could they die again, but die they cannot. Roll on, you everlasting ages, but why roll on? You will never be nearer to an end. How dreadful a change is this for the careless sinner. Here he has many comforts, and what he esteems pleasures, there not one. 
Here, tender friends, are his companions by day. By night, an easy bed refreshes his weary limbs, and in calm sleep, even his sorrows are forgotten. But there he will sleep no more to forget his misery, but writhe and toss his wretched form forever on the lake of fire. Here, even the most distressed have something remain in the less than their wretchedness, but it is not so there. Human kindness cannot enter and devils cannot love. There is nothing to give even once in 10,000 years a momentary pleasure. Not one drop of ease to mingle with the sea of misery. Not one gleam of hope to brighten that eternal night. Not one drop of water to cool for a moment the wretched tongue tormented in that everlasting flame. Misery will reign in every heart. Despair will scowl on every face. Distraction, rage, and remorse will tear every soul. And it will be so. To the fire that never shall be quenched is added the worm that will never die. The lost sinner will fill a hell within as well as a hell without. Infernal passions like so many ravenous vultures will tear his wretched soul. Little young sinner, do you imagine what misery will spring from this one source? Some unhappy creatures even in this world have pictured what lively images lost souls must be forever. A statement to the following effect appeared in 1797 in the New York Theological Magazine. A young man who had had some serious impressions, but who notwithstanding hardened himself in sin, declared to a person who was desired to converse with him that after that time when God seems to have forsaken him, he had feelings which he never experienced in such a degree before. His heart became as hard as adamant. His enmity against God increased to a great degree. After that time, he did not feel one desire to ask or receive mercy or to leave favor from God. He never reflected on the divine character, but his heart rose in the most violent opposition. Whenever, he said, I reflect that God is almighty, just, and holy, that I am dependent on him, that he can and will do with me what he pleases, my heart burns with rage and fury, and had I power, I would execute vengeance upon the Almighty. He then said to a number under religious impressions, I have heard you relate the feelings of your hearts, and you appear to have some sense of your wickedness. But if enmity of heart against God is wickedness, and then it is, I am fully convinced, though I wish to believe the contrary, your present is nothing compared with the fountain of iniquity within. I know if all men's hearts are alike, you would dethrone the Almighty if you had power. Had I an omnipotent arm, heaven would soon be stormed, and God be cast headlong from his throne. In expressions like these, he uttered himself for some time to appearance actuated with the highest rage. I have no peace, he said, day or night. My torment is as great seemingly as I can endure. God is constantly in my view and my heart is constantly burning with rage and fury. His eyes, his countenance, his air expressed the same feelings with his words. Such a sight I never saw before or since. Nothing I could say availed anything unless to increase his rage and enmity. 
He had, as it appeared to me, the most clear and lively sense of the wickedness of the human heart, of the divine character, of the creature's dependence, and the nature of the future torments of any person with whom I was ever acquainted. Some of his friends told me that his distress was sometimes so great that he would lie down and roll upon the floor from one side of the room to the other and groan like a man exercised with excruciating pain and cry, oh, that I could banish from my mind all thoughts of God forever and ever. At one time he traveled barefoot in the night, 20 miles in a deep snow. He was followed by the track he had made and gave his reason for his conduct that bodily pain was the only means by which he could divert his mind from those objects which gave him greater distress than what he had experienced in his travel. He therefore did it to mitigate his distress. Oh, doleful condition! Oh, miserable end of a life of sin if this were all its misery! But as the happiness of saints is never perfected on earth, so there is no reason for believing that even this dreadful wretchedness is at all to be compared with the miseries of the damned. Words cannot describe, nor imagination ever conceive, what will be the remorse of such a soul. Then will the sinner discern for what he lost a fair inheritance of heaven. Then will he see for what poor trifles he sunk his soul into hell. Then will he know what low and base pleasures of a moment he preferred to eternal life and eternal glory. Oh, how will it wound his soul to think of grace refused and Christ neglected? Oh, while he blasphemes his God, how will he curse his own self-destroying folly and choosing the way to hell instead of that to heaven and sin instead of religion? Oh, how bitter now will be the remembrance of Sabbaths wasted, of mercy rejected, the calls to which he would not hearken and the admonitions he would not regard. Is this the hell, may the unhappy creature say, that I was choosing when I turned a deaf ear to the advice of God? Is this a fruit of my fancied wisdom? And this eternal flame the end of all my pleasures? Is even this damnation my own choice? Ah, oh, why have some with whom I once met, why have they risen to glory? Why have the heavenly gates admitted them and shut me out? They were no better by birth than I. They were not born years of heaven any more than I. Like me, they were the children of wrath. Why are they admitted and I shut out? Why are they happy and I am miserable? They are in heaven and I am in hell. Ah, they listen to a Savior's voice, and I hearken not. They turn to God, and I refuse to turn. They were wise, and I distracted. Now they are blessed, and I am undone. Wretched creature, and have I sold my soul for a moment's base delight? Have I valued eternal glories at so little a price? Have I preferred the world and the devil to a compassionate Savior and a gracious God? Alas, I have. Woe is me. All is lost. My soul is lost, and damnation with all its horrors must be mine to all eternity. Eternity! Eternity! This completes the sinner's misery. Oh, young sinner, if once you sink to hell, it will make hell itself more horrid to think that you must be there forever. 
the intolerableness as one of your pain and torment. Make every day seem an age and every year as long as eternity. And yet you must lie there an eternity of these long years at a lost soul in hell but to feign his hope of deliverance. Though at the end of as many millions of ages as there are drops in the sea, hell would lose half of its horrors. There would be some hope of deliverance. But now, alas, eternity, which might have the measures of their joys, will be the only measure of their torments. There the fire never shall be quenched. Could a lost soul drop but one tear once in ten thousand years and do this until the sea as fast as all the seas on earth together were filled with tears. All its sufferings in that long, long period would be but the beginning of eternal misery. All those millions of years of wretchedness would bring the unhappy soul no nearer to an end of its torments than one poor fleeting hour. O oh, infinitely miserable creature, that when millions of years of sorrow are past, can only say these flames again, these tortures again. And when millions more have flown, will still find their miseries beginning, still be looking forward to new ages of misery, and forever see an eternity of misery still before them. Were these sorrows to be borne only for the most numerous course of ages, they would be more supportable. Every hour of misery would then bring on an end of all misery. And of the most deeply undone sinner, it might be said that the time would come when devils would cease from tormenting and the unhappy should be at rest. Yet, oh, eternity, that joyful or dreadful word forbids the hope. O pitiable folly of unhappy man, wretched madness of miserable sinners, so willfully to refuse a Savior's grace, and so obstinately to plunge into perdition. And, oh, my young friend, is this not yours? It is. These sorrows will soon be yours. You may forget how fast eternity comes, but you will never forget how slow it goes. Do you not pity those who by one wrong step in youth entail on themselves misfortune and sorrow for life? But oh, how are you to be pitied who in this short life are ruining an endless one? In this little inch of time you are bringing a heavy and immovable curse on a whole eternity. You are doing the worst mischief to your own soul that hell can wish, and worse than a united hell could do. Satan may tempt you to a slight salvation, but he cannot make you do it. Oh, will you make light of Jesus still, and still refuse your heart to him? Oh, if you do alas for you, that ever you were born, for it would have been far better for you if you had never been born at all.